Amen. Okay, well, if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Chronicles 12, 1 Chronicles 12, um, it's there in the histories at the start of kind of towards the middle of the Bible. Um, Our practice here is we come to the Bible, we we think it's a a book that is still relevant, we believe it's essentially written by God and it's, it's, um, you know, it's what he wants to leave us with. Interestingly, it only struck me this, this morning really, you know, there is teaching in there, there are doctrines, but it's really interesting, there's real narrative and detail in narrative. You see, God wants us to get caught up with our story and his story. And he, he throws in all sorts of fine detail, like we're going to see in this passage this morning. So I want to speak this morning about making Jesus king. And it's 1 Chronicles 12. There's a particular verse that I've quoted here a number of times that we're going to kind of use as a, uh, speak out of as a springboard. But I just want us to look at this passage. I think there's some lessons here for us. So Lord, bless your word to us this morning. It says this. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. So Saul was the previous king of God's people, Israel, and David is following. And then there's this list of soldiers, warriors that rally to David. From Judah carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. From Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. From Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men. And Zadok, the brave young warrior, with 22 officers from his family. From Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. From Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. From half the tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It's an interesting calling, isn't it? It's a really interesting calling. Throw in this list of warriors. There are these men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. From Zebulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. From Naphtali, 1,000 officers together with 37,000 men carrying shields and spears. From Dan, ready for battle, 28,600. From Asher, or Asher, experienced soldiers prepared for battle, 40,000. And from east of the Jordan, from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, armed with every type of weapon, 120,000. I think I might have seen a figure. It's about 300,000 plus in total, they reckon. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined to make David king over Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking for their families had supplied provisions for them. <laughs> it's this weird detail about the food that was there. Also, their neighbours from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun and Naphtali came, bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig, cakes, raisin cakes, wine, olive oil, cattle and sheep. Three days, mind. Three days. For there was joy in Israel. 
So what we've got here in 1 Chronicles 10 to 12 is we have the story of Saul dying. The previous king, God left him. He left God, separated. And so God finds someone else to be king. And what's happened already here is David has been proclaimed king. It's a new day. It's a new day. And there is, I haven't got time to share now, but I think there's a real prophetic sense at the moment of renewal and of it being a new day, perhaps for us individually, for us as a church. I think there's hopefully newness for society in the midst of everything. And so they've had this ceremony, if you like, to proclaim David king. Probably a bit like Sunday mornings. What happens there is we come and we proclaim Jesus king. But how many of us know you then need to battle Monday through Saturday to make Jesus king? It's one thing to proclaim him king. It's one thing for us to sing the songs. But in our lives, in our situations, are we then fighting to make us king? Because in this account, we see these men had to fight in the face of opposition to make Jesus or to make David king. So we have this account of Warriors rallying and there's momentum and, you know, I dare say there was a kind of feel-good factor. It's a new day. There's a new leader coming. There's a new leader for the nation coming. Prophetic word. I hereby prophesy tomorrow. There's a new leader coming. Is there the feel-good factor? Jeff, don't give away your leftist credentials, all right? But there was a feel-good factor here. And in amongst it all, like I say, there's 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, where it says, From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do for a long time now. I've both prayed this and felt we need this in this day, don't we? We live in difficult, difficult times. I read a quote, I don't know who it was by, by somebody that, you know, whoever wins tomorrow, whoever's won this Tory leadership Election, you know, their intray is probably the most difficult since Churchill. War in Ukraine, an invasion of European territory by a superpower. You know, and then all sorts of situations around the world. You know, who'd have thought we'd see a day when in little old rugby we have Syrian refugees among us and Ukrainian refugees. You know, growing up, I grew up on the Isle of Wight. I could not have imagined that situation happening. How could, how could people from one part or the other come and live in those sorts of numbers among us? What's going on in the world that that's happened? How, how do we deal with that? And then we've got, of course, you know, what are we, we going to face this winter? And these are real, real problems. And we need to understand the times. We need to seek God and say, Lord, what, what is our response to be? What are we to do? It's still important to have this prophetic edge, just like it was then for David and his army. It was important for them to have this prophetic edge. And I think there's perhaps some lessons here for us at this time from the sons of Iskar. Maybe the sons of Iskar discern certain things going on that, that would be useful for us. So let's get stuck into these. Firstly, they probably discerned, they would have seen clearly there was a war going on for the soul of the nation. There's a war going on for the soul of the nation. Look at verse 23. Next slide, Anthony, thanks. 
says, these are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. David had been proclaimed king, anointed king, but they still had to make him king. So in Israel, there was a civil war going on. But in every society, there is a war going on for the soul of a nation or a community. It's against what we call the powers and principalities, spiritual reality. Someone prayed this morning before our service, you know, the real reality is probably the spiritual realm. Everything we see on earth probably reflects what's going on in the spiritual realm. And this is manifest in different ways, isn't it? In some nations, the enemy prowls like a roaring lion and it's in your face that there's a war going on. There is persecution of believers in too many countries in this world. But maybe in Western society, this war for the soul of the nation is more the, the enemy is an angel of light seducing us with the comforts we experience in Western society. Well, are they being challenged at this time? Are those comforts that we've enjoyed for many, many years, most of us, in all sorts of different ways, some, some of that's going to challenge us. And we're certainly going to see it challenging many in our society. And of course, this war is manifest at different levels. There's a war for the soul of our society, but also for our communities. Folks, make no mistake, there's a war going on for the soul of rugby. There are powers and principalities. There are strongholds in our society that we need to stand against. Strongholds of poverty and abuse. You know, we're one of the capitals, I understand, for you know, county lines and trafficking and all of that stuff. Well, we don't want that on our watch, do we? <laughs> Did you know there's a war going on for the soul of your family? That's not just if you have children, by the way. And you need to stand, and you need to stand, and you need to rally to Christ's banner in your family. What's your prayer? Let me ask a question. What's your prayer life like for your family? How heartfelt are we? All too often, I know, I think my prayers are too passionless. And there's a war for our individual lives. So firstly, there is this war on for the soul of our nation manifest at all levels. Well, what's the most effective way to fight in that war? Second lesson, I think we see here. We need to fight to make Jesus king in this war. The purpose of these warriors, it tells us in verse 38, was this. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. And we battle, don't we, to see Jesus made king. To see Jesus gain his rightful place in society, in the lives of individuals, in families' lives, to be honoured. Is that how we see our lives as Christians? Now, I understand today's motif, in a sense, is this idea of battle and war. And there are other motifs, obviously. You know, we are to love and be gracious and kind and tender. And, and that, that doesn't sound like it's very warlike. Actually, it is, thinking about it. 
So I'm just focusing on one, if you like, aspect of our lives as Christians. How determined are we to see Jesus get the honour and the glory he deserves? To what extent does that occupy our thinking and our praying? And as we're going to see in a minute, our decision making. And he needs to be made king at every level. He needs to be owned as Lord by individuals living surrendered lives. Now, I don't know about you, I struggle to make Jesus king. I struggle to surrender. Because I know someone I usually prefer to be king. He's called Paul. But I'm sure you're the same. There's someone in your life that you'd probably rather have as king or queen. Ruling. Well, we're to submit and he's to take the throne. What about at the level of our families? Again, folks in in our families, parents, but grandparents, is our desire. Is that our main priority to see Jesus at the centre of our family's life? Or is it, for example, you know, and I think fair to say, certainly I got caught up with this. You know, is it that our kids get into the best schools? Or, you know, get to that activity so they can be the best at, or, you know, just really develop in that area or this area or music instruments. How much money do we spend as parents? This is just a gripe here, cathartic. How much money do we spend as parents on musical lessons? And then they, do they keep those instruments up? And we're wanting our kids to do left, right and centre everything. That's fine so long as it's all submitted to Jesus and our kids get that that's the priority. And we want peaceable communities, don't we? We're fighting to see peaceable communities with healthy churches. And then society-wide, we want to see institutions and traits in society that reflect biblical values. And we're to fight. We're to fight at all these levels. We're to war. We're to battle. Day by day. I want to encourage you in all this. We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side in all this. Look at Revelation 11.15. It says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, We may differ slightly on on kind of what that's saying, but fundamentally it seems to me that the kingdoms of this world are going to be subsumed, are going to bow the knee to the kingdom of God because he's going to reign forever and ever. And here's the thing. The kingdom of God is not yet, but it is now. It's now and not yet. It's not yet fully, but it is now. It is now. That process, that process has begun now. God's on our side in this as we step out for him. And try and honour him in our lives and see him honoured in our families and communities and in the structures of society. We're on the winning side. And is it the case, like I say, that trust in false strongholds, false kingdoms, if you like, may just be being shaken a bit. People are seeing, to a very real extent, the political system is not going to look after them ultimately. The state is not going to cope. How many of us see this? I I feel this keenly. There's been a time in history when, you know, and I think society has forgotten this, the church, Christians, stepped into these spheres of poverty and the poor in urban society, going way back to Middle Ages, 
learning, hospitals. So many of these areas in our society were founded upon Christians stepping into these areas. The state has kind of taken on that responsibility. That's fine. But what happens when the state can no longer cope? When there's not the resources, who's going to step into that void? And I think there's going to be a call on us. There is a call on us. There's always been this call, but we feel it keenly, don't we? There's, There's a call on us to step in again to these areas. There are going to be very, very real needs, aren't there? The economy isn't going to look after people. It seems to be, anyway, yeah. And I want to encourage you in all of this as well. Look at 1 Chronicles 12, verse 22. Day after day, it said, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. Could it be that for all the tragedy and the difficulty of these situations, people are going to be willing to listen to a message of hope that we have in the gospel in a way they've never done before? We've seen it. Throughout society and throughout history, time and again, nation after nation goes through tragedy and difficult as a result of which men and women get saved, young people get saved, revival breaks out. Because we need these, our securities in other kingdoms shaken in order that we'll perhaps be ready to listen to what God might do. You know, we're going to begin soon a series on Missional discipleship, the idea of us just, you know, we are people of the gospel. Everyone's called to be a witness. Doesn't mean like, you know, get in there and just, you know, it's not techniques or any of this. We need to live a, a witnessing lifestyle. It's about lifestyle. Could it be that God has, has been at work in people who we might see saved in ways we've not for a long time? The Talking Jesus Report, there's uh, an evening where Roy's going to be doing October the 16th, but I read through it the other day. The Talking Jesus Report says this. Firstly, it says, people like Christians. Christians they've met, they like us. People like us. Now, I understand there'll be views, you know, pushback, perhaps against our views, but that encourages me anyway. Doesn't it encourage you? People like you. People like you. Hopefully, people in the church like you as well, but people out there like you. Even if the church doesn't, they all like you. But also, there was a stat that folks who'd had a conversation with a Christian, practicing Christian, and they define that um, as, well, anyway, practicing Christian, back when they first carried out this report in uh, 2015, after people had had a conversation with a Christian, one-fifth were open to to following up. That stat has gone up to one-third. And this is a big piece of research verified could it be that through covid people's worldviews have been shaken and they're seeing things different and they're wanting to know what is life about who is in charge so let's be bold in jesus name in the gospel lord give us anointing for that okay cracking on what else do we see here in this passage thirdly everyone needs to choose whose side we're on we need to choose whose side we're on. These warriors were proactive. It was no good them coming and saying, I really hope, I like David. I like David. I think he's nice. I'd like him to be king. And then doing sweet Fanny Adam to make it happen. Well, so often our Christian lives can be like that, can't we? I'd like Jesus to be owned. I want to see people saved. 
What's the evidence that convicts us that we're working towards that? That we're standing for Christ. That we're laboring, that we're pursuing God with all our might for all he is. Look at what it says in verse 38. It says, these men came with a, were wholehearted and with a single mind. Does that describe me? Am I wholehearted? Am I single-minded? Do I understand my purpose on this earth is to glorify Christ? And everything else will then fall into place. As long as that's the priority, everything else will fall into place. Following Jesus is a proactive thing. It's not just a belief we hold. It's a lifestyle. This may speak to you. You may, you may kind of have a belief in God or, you know, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. A lot of people believe in the resurrection. Surprising number, again, talking Jesus, a surprising number believe in the resurrection it just doesn't make any difference to our lives, their lives. So following Jesus is a proactive thing. It involves constant choices to submit. Day by day, we make those choices to submit. You know that, don't you? It is that, isn't it? And often these choices are in the hidden things when we're alone. Now, it's great to respond in this gathering and gatherings like it amongst our Christian brothers and sisters. But it's really, the test is really when no one else is looking, isn't it? I'm reading a great book at the moment called Anonymous. It's about the hidden years of Jesus' life. It, the writer looks at you know, the 30 years of Jesus in obscurity and what might have been put in. We haven't got a lot of record about what happened then. But what might have been put in in those years? And they just kind of, you know... Talking about the temptation of Jesus, you see the test, the temptation reveals what has already happened, the choices we've already made, chance are. Yes, it does refine us, but also the testing reveals where are we at with God anyway? And it says about in the desert, you know, when he's tested with his appetite to turn these stones into bread, Jesus had had plenty of chance to fulfill his appetite over 30 years. Jesus, go and do your chores. Okay, mum. Jesus, this is how you, you know, this is how you make this type of joint in a, I don't, I don't mean dodgy joints. He's a carpenter, joints as in, this is how you, you know, construct this piece of furniture, whatever. Okay, dad, yeah, I'm listening, I'm paying attention. What about, what about when everyone around Jesus was dating and coupling up? Because it was a culture where people got married young. Jesus was a, you know, he was a red-blooded male. He would have wanted certain things, but that wasn't for him. It's in those times, isn't it, when we submit day in, day out. I wonder whether discipleship actually, when it boils down to it, is much more than individuals choosing Jesus decision by decision. I don't know that it's much more, actually. Individuals choosing Jesus decision by decision. And it's certainly the case, whether that's right about individuals, like I say, we have been through a time as a society of testing and refining, which we are kind of beginning to emerge from. Who are we choosing? Who are we choosing? You see... My hunch is many of us, and I include myself, you know, maybe during COVID, 
We got into our own habits, own routines, and I know this to be the case. I've talked with people. I.e., it was very easy to choose us what we wanted. Well, let's prioritize afresh. Maybe there's a renewing. We need to prioritize. Just make sure, are we on track? Is Christ our priority? Got three more lessons, briefer. Fourthly, I think we see in this passage, there was a need for leaders. There was a need for leaders. Verse 32, the sons of Issachar, it says, I've not seen it before, were chiefs. And then other passages say there were officers. Officers. It will always be key that we have, if we're going to see Jesus made king, that we have those willing to put their hand up and take responsibility. I've loved it. I've, I don't know whether she's here today. Is Nikki Andrews here? Is Nikki here today? So Nikki, many of you will know, over the summer holidays has led this activity, Wednesdays and Thursday afternoons for Ukrainian families. I don't think anyone asked her to. I don't know where it came from. My impression is she just felt she wanted to do it. She got some people together. And amazing photos and some of us were involved. What an amazing thing to happen. Just wonderful. Just so time appropriate. She just put her hand up. She just put her hand up and sorted it. Let me ask you, friend, what frustrates you? What frustrates you about the church? Now, I know you're going to be scratching your head at this point and going, well, I can't think. What frustrates you that's going on in society? What frustrates you about the situation around you? That may just be the prompt of the Holy Spirit to put your hand up and do something. I do think we have a culture, and we've had a culture here for a long time. We talk about champions. So it won't be necessarily that you know, missional initiatives come from the centre. But what we will try and do is, if you put your hand up, is get behind you and give you profile and release and make space for that. So I encourage you, put your hand up. Put your hand up. Fifthly, there's a need for leaders. Fifthly, there's a need for unity. All the tribes here, I counted them, all the tribes are represented. They stood shoulder to shoulder for the sake of the nation. And we need that at the national and community level, don't we? We're blessed, aren't we, by the sense we have of revive in this town. The fact that as churches we do try to work together. And a number of us here are involved, you know, kind of trying to pull that sort of thing together. But also... It's key at the local church level. We are to covet the measure of unity we have here and we are to pray for it and pray for it again. Why? Because the, if there's one thing the enemy would love to do among us, it would be to sow division and sow tension. I'm interested to see that the tribes included Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And it said when we read it, which was Saul's own tribe. So here are men coming from the tribe of Benjamin to fight for David against, if you like, the representatives, the hangers-on from Saul, their own tribe. They submitted, if you like, potentially their own interests for the greater good. How many of us know local church is to be like that? There are going to be all sorts of things myself included, we would rather see done differently. People behave differently. I've got plenty about this church I'd like to change. 
How long you got? But you're the same. But in there somewhere, and, and so often these decisions, it's not a case of either, well, theologically, that decision is wrong. Now, we are wrestling at the moment, for example, with women and eldership in this church. And there's a theological aspect to that. So we do need to wrestle. There are some questions we need to wrestle with theology and listen to one another and pay attention. But most decisions, I think in in most situations probably, in our marriages, in our families, and in our church life, it doesn't boil down to it's either God's way or, well, whose way is this? If it's not God's way, whose way is it? It's not that. Often it boils down to, doesn't it, preference. I'd I'd much rather it was done differently. I'd prefer that. Well, what do we do when it's not done that way? Sundays. The preaching's too long. Rarely hear that here. (laughs) Usually, preaching's not long enough. I could... It left me hanging. That's right, we're nearly finished, okay? (laughs) But there's all sorts of aspects of church life. And I think in those situations, and I think we're facing a number of these questions at this time, the question may boil down to, are we saying, well, this route is God, that's not, or is it, I'd I'd much prefer that, and, and we understand that, but it doesn't seem that that's happening. What is our decision then? Do we submit our preference, ask for grace for it, for the greater good, for the sake, if you like, of the family. Lord, help us in that one. I think that's important for us. Finally, in all this, there's a lesson, I think. Let's celebrate being community. That, I think, was um, one of our... Uh, I think we had an open-air service and then a picnic up at, up at uh, Alwyn a few years back. Let's do more of that. Let's do more of that. There's no coincidence in this account. Three days eating and drinking. I reckon it got a bit rowdy. I do. These, these were warriors. These were like, you know, pretty rough and ready. I think it could have got a bit rowdy. But it says as well, there was joy. They knew what was at the heart of it. There was joy. And if we're in a war, we need R&R, rest and relaxation. And food is good. <laughs> How many times do we see in Scripture, let's, let's get around food. Let's have one another in our homes. Let's spend time together. Let's have relational time. It fills the tank, doesn't it, for what's ahead. Let's celebrate being community. Please, please, let's be attentive that church is not to be, you know, be it, it's not just a midweek meeting where we do Bible study. Good though Bible study is, I believe in Bible study. But I want, I want to be in relationship. I want to be in relationship. I think we need to be in relationship together and build trust so that we know we're journeying together. If there's a war on and we're going to face opposition, we need to know that you can look at the person stood next to you and know you're in this together. We're going to need that as believers in this nation, I believe. So to conclude, we've been talking about making Jesus king. Seeing individuals own him as Lord, seeing society transformed. There's a couple of things I just felt appropriate that aren't clearly in the passage, and I didn't want to dress it up that they were. I think as we look at society, the need is great. The need is great at this present time. 
The physical and material need is great. Isn't it interesting? Some of the needs that are going to grow in society are at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know Maslow's hierarchy, those of you that know that? You know, the very fundamental things. Home, food, warmth. Who'd have thought those, those needs would? You know, I know they've always kind of been there, even in our society. But those needs are going to increase, those fundamental needs. We're not talking about the higher needs of care and love and attention and acceptance and all that. We're just going to have to minister to the lower needs first off. The needs are great. And what emotional and psychological needs are going to come out of those stressful situations? Things like anxiety. It seems to me there are a lot of anxious people out there. But we have a message of hope. You see, Jesus, he is the answer. He certainly has the answer. For everyone, he has the answer through those situations. The need is great and the times are urgent, aren't they? They always are. Look at Romans 13, 11. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour's already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Is that us this morning? Do we need a wake-up call? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Meaning Jesus is... He's closer to coming now. I mean, it's like a duh statement. Jesus is closer to coming now than when you first believed. Fact. But he's coming. He is coming. Let's not regret time not spent loving and serving and witnessing for him in a way we could do. How do we respond if the band could come back up here and that'd be great how do we respond i think i think the appeal the declaration of amasite from slightly earlier in 1 chronicles 12 verse 18 so this is slightly earlier it's been talking about david's mighty men and what have you and obviously this was fighting men but we need mighty men and women goes without saying then the spirit came on Amasai, chief of the 30, and he said, is, can you say this this morning of Jesus? We are yours, David. He's, David is, Jesus is the David that was to come. We are with you, son of Jesse. Success, success to you. I'm all about you being honoured and glorified. And success to those who help you. For your God will help you. 